Listen to this. Listen to Psalm 84. See if you can't connect in some way with it. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose hearts are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield. O God, look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. The Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for giving us the Psalms. Thank you for working through human experience so that we might know your mind so that we might read these words and know that they accurately, truly express your heart, who you are, what you desire for us, what you do in the world, what you're even doing in us. So Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see what is true, that our God, that you pursue us and care about us. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would always lead us to Jesus. And that Jesus, we might find you, the great lover of our souls. The one who is coming again for us. We pray in your name. Amen. This psalm is about the goodness of God. So if you want to know where we're going this morning, if you want to know what the main point is, if you want to know what the takeaway is, it's that. God is good. We need to think about that in a deep way because most of us settle for a trivialized version of God is good. Most of us settle for a very shallow view of the goodness of God, meaning whenever something goes the way that we want it to go, we have a tendency to say God is good, right? And is that true? Absolutely. Furthermore, when things unexpectedly happen in our favor, we really like to say God is good, don't we? But sometimes we struggle to have a really deep understanding of the goodness of God. I wanted to read to you a little story. A friend of mine went to a conference in Arkansas, and this is his account of a conversation he had with someone at the conference. I want to read it to you. Listen to this. On the first morning, I wandered into the kitchen, this is my friend, and met an old woman from Liberia. Her name was Miss Fifi. You got that? Got Miss Fifi? You're going to want to remember her name. She cooked breakfast, 
And while I sat on a stool and worked to crack open a few pecans I had found on a walk, I said to her, Liberia, huh? How in the world did you end up in Arkansas? Her face lit up and she said, God is so good. She told me about a war in her country. Her father was killed during that war. She traveled to the United States just days before the war began. I was thinking to myself, how terrible. And at the same time, she says, God is so good to me. She married an unbelieving man who divorced her because she couldn't have children. But then God provided her with a new husband who deeply loves the Lord. She asked me, why is God so good to me? They gave up hope for children. Then unexpectedly, at the age of 42, she became pregnant. A few years later, God gives them a second healthy child. She asked me again, why is God so good to me? They helped start a church. The building they met in is crumbling, so they gave their own house to be the church building. At this point, she tells me, back then, I did not like or trust white people. But then she's introduced to a white man who works with an organization that builds them a new home for free. She asked me again, why is God so good to me? Then she says, three weeks ago, my husband died. He was preparing a pastor appreciation event and had a heart attack. She said it was not surprising that he died while serving the Lord because he was always serving the Lord. She then shared how stressed she'd been because it was going to cost $7,000 to bury her husband. Only God leads that same man who helped build a home to pay for the entire funeral. Can you guess what she asked me next? Why is God so good to me? My friend said, the whole conversation, I kept seeing the ways God failed to love her. But Miss Fifi kept pointing me to how wonderfully the Lord has loved her. With genuine joy, she kept telling me, I say to the Lord, I do not know why you love this African woman so much. Friends, what gave her the ability to have that kind of perspective? I mean, do you think she's just delusional? Do you think she's out of touch with reality? She had a very deep understanding of the goodness of God. And Psalm 84 can help us understand in deeper ways the goodness of God. And Psalm 84 can produce in us an ability to live out our faith, to live our lives through the lens of the goodness of God. So you ready? Let's dive in. Three things that we see from this text about the goodness of God. The first one is this. God meets us in worship. Look at the first four verses. The psalmist is writing and he begins with this exclamation. He can't help but say, how lovely are your courts, O Lord. My soul longs to be there. My soul faints to be in your presence. More than likely, the author of this was some, in some type of exile. 
And he was far away from the courts of the Lord. Because if you remember in the Old Testament, the temple is where God's people gathered together to worship God. And when the psalmist says, my heart, my soul longs for the courts of the Lord, he, his earnest desire is to be in worship. It wasn't for the building, it was for God. He wanted to be in the place where God meets with his people. And guess where that is? Here. When God's people gather together for worship, God meets with us. We don't have to ask him if he'll show up. We don't have to pretend that we have to work, conjure up something in ourselves, hoping that God will see how serious we are and decide to show up. God is here every single week. And the desire of the heart is to meet with God, is to meet with him. His soul longs for that. That immediately means that we need to think about something. What does your heart, what does my heart long for? Over these past months, I can tell you, my heart has longed to be healthy and cancer-free, not always to be in God's presence. What about you? It's easy to get distracted, isn't it? We all do. Maybe as we begin this new year, we ought to think through our priorities. And we ought to think to ourselves, do I want to meet with God? Will I prioritize that? Will I prioritize meeting with God and his people? I mean, look at what the psalmist says in verse 2 and 3 and following. It's like he starts thinking about the animals that are residing in God's house. His imagination is running wild. He's thinking about being in God's house with God's people because God is there. And because he can't be there, he even thinks about these little birds that find nests in God's house. That they live there. Later in the psalm, he ends up saying, you know, in verse 10, I, I would rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be the guy that shows people where to go at the front of the building. I'd rather be in the doorway of the church, just barely in the place where God's people are gathered. I'd rather just cross the threshold and just stand there than be anywhere else. The psalmist is writing in a way that many of us can connect with, isn't he? Most of us at times feel like we're estranged. We know what it's like to feel like we're in exile. Maybe some of you feel that even now. You're carrying something inside and you feel like you're all alone. Trying to figure out what to do next. In those moments, we all have them. In those moments, think about God. Think about worship. Think about meeting with him and he with you. He even goes on to say in verse four, the first of the three blessings. Blessed is the one who dwell in your house, ever singing praise. The psalmist is reminding us that when God meets with us, he blesses us. He actually meets with us to satisfy our soul. He actually meets with us to satisfy our deepest longing because there's no better place that we can be than in God's presence and to know his power and to know that he is good. Well, verse five through verse nine gives us the second 
part of this psalm, and this is where things start to get really interesting. This is when things start to dig into our lives more than just, I love being in your presence, Lord. But look at verses five through nine. God is good not only because he meets us in worship, but God is good because he's with us in every step of our journey. Look at verse five through nine. The psalmist uses all these phrases that talk about traveling. You remember, before Christ came, God's people's lives were primarily ordered around a calendar. We don't have that anymore. We're freed from that now. But God's people had a calendar in which they had three times a year where they were supposed to travel to Jerusalem to meet with God's people, collectively, all of them together. Three times a year. And he's writing here about those journeys. He's thinking about the time when he gets to go to God's house. Look at what verse 5 says. Something about my heart is set on a pilgrimage. Look at that. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, verse 5, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Do you get what he's saying? He's thinking about what's going on in his heart. And by God's grace, his heart is leading him to God to the new city, to the place where God lives and he will be with us forever. But make no mistake, look at verse six. It's not as though every part of this journey to God and being in his presence forever is without struggle. Look at verse six. As they wander around, they go through a valley of Baca. Do you see that? It means like a place of dryness a place of uh, struggle, a place where things just seem all dried up. Have you ever, ever known what it was like? Have you ever experienced spiritual dryness? Have Have you ever just thought, you know, I need to go to worship because I don't, even though I don't really feel it right now, I know it's important. And in going, God was dealing with you and refreshing you, and reminding you, even if you get bored to death with the guy that's in front of you, at least you got the table, right? Where you can taste and see that God is good. The psalmist is writing about our lives or journeys, and things are really hard. Living in a broken world is really difficult. Being sinful oneself is very hard to get along with people in the world, isn't it? Everything's not sunsets and bareback dolphin rides. (laughs) Things are hard. And God says, that's right, but I'm with you. And then notice what he says. It's not just that going through this place of dryness and dry place, but it's actually there that God's people go from strength to strength. Did you see that? It's there that God causes pools of water to to be formed and to reach the parched earth, to reach our souls that feel like we're dried up. You see that? Those that are traveling on this journey, even though things are hard, they make it a spring, meaning that by faith, I think one author said it this way, by faith, followers of Jesus dare to bring a blessing out of hardship. You ever thought about that? That even when we go through hardship, we can find God's blessing. If for no other reason, he is present with us. 
through that struggle and hardship. I'll be very personal with you. The hardest piece of information that I received in the last 10 months was receiving a letter from someone that meant really well, by the way, they're not in this state and they're not in this church, so don't be looking around. It's none of you, okay? That's why I'm bringing them up. They meant well, but what they said to me in the letter was this. That we know that this cancer is going to be contained and it won't spread. We know that you will not have to go through chemotherapy. We know that God will give you a pain-free recovery. We know that you and Jenny will celebrate your 50th anniversary. Do you know how hard it was to read those words? Because the only thing that I could do was to try to process those words through truth which meant I had to come face to face with my mortality. They didn't know whether or not I was gonna make it through surgery any more than I did. They didn't know that the mass was not contained. It had gone through my colon. I had chemotherapy. I didn't have a pain-free recovery. And I don't know that I'm gonna get to see my 50th anniversary with Jenny. My life is in God's hands, period. Beloved, I think you've heard this a few weeks ago. I want to say it again. Suffering is not an obstacle to get over because God has something better planned. Suffering is the very thing that God uses to help us learn obedience and learn dependence. That's exactly what happened with Jesus. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. God. Excuse me. God is with us in the midst of our difficult times, and He is working faith into us and working His goodness into us in the midst of the hard things. Miss Fifi, losing her husband, not knowing how to pay for it, not liking white people. God, she saw that through everything, God was so good to her. I told you that one of the things that I've learned through all this is I didn't realize how much people really care and love me. And I hate it that God had to teach me that through cancer. (laughs) But it's one of the things I've taken away, that I actually do have people that really care, will pray for me. That means more than I can express. I don't know that I would have learned it. I hadn't learned it yet. I hope there's a lot more that God has for me intended. I know there's a lot more that he has intended for me through all of this, but that's one thing I've learned and it's been life-changing. Beloved, God is there in the midst and we can dig blessings out of hard things. Suffering and hardship is not just something that we try to get over. We We don't think God is good just when he does what we want or when he does something that's better than what we had planned. God is good in the midst of the hard. And he pours himself into us. We'll get to that in a moment. But then look at what it says in this journey 
in which our hearts are set on the presence of God and one day by grace we will arrive there. But until we get there, things are hard. And while we're going through hard things, by God's grace, we can receive blessings from God. And look what else is there for us in those verses. Prayer. Look at verse eight and nine. Lord, hear our prayer. Look upon the face of your anointed. Who do you think that is? It's David, but ultimately who? The greater David, Jesus. He's saying, Lord, look upon the Messiah. Look upon us through him. Don't forget your anointed one. Don't forget the Messiah. Don't forget, Lord, your son. Hear our prayer. In the midst of everything that we go through, we can still pray. Prayer is important. The older I've gotten, the shorter my prayers get, and the more frequent they happen. And I only say that because I thought for a long time that I needed to pray for a long period of time to be real spiritual. You don't. Whatever you're thinking, whatever is going on in your heart, Tell God immediately. Just tell him. Just say it. He hears you. He answers it. And oh, by the way, just to be clear, you all believe I'm going to be healed, right? I'll either be healed on this side of the grave or on the other. The timing of that and the location of that is completely in God's hands, but I will be healed. I want you to know that. And I want you to believe that. I just can't control it. That brings us to the third thing about the goodness of God. God is good because he meets us in worship. God is good because he's with us every step of the journey. And third, God is good because of who he is. We already mentioned verse 10. Better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell anywhere else. Better to be just barely in the door than out trying to satisfy my deepest desires, thinking that that will give me purpose or meaning, because it won't. It only leaves me with guilt and shame. But then we get to verse 11. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. It is marinated and saturated with infinity. (laughs) It is completely absorbed with eternality. Listen to this verse. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He gives, more literally translated, grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk with him, more literally translated. Beloved, do you realize what this is telling you about God? Do you know why his presence is so amazing in worship and why his presence in every part of the journey is so important? Think about this. What does the sun provide for us? Life. Warmth, heat, light itself, right? We go on and on. 
The psalmist is saying what the sun is to the natural world, God is to our soul. That he is the one that gives us life. He is the one that gives us warmth. He is the one that gives us light so that we can understand who we are, who he is, and what is happening in the world. He is our sun. And he is also our shield. What does a shield do? Protection. Do you know what God protects us from? Ourselves, our enemies. Can you think of anything else that God protects us from? Himself, at times. Do you know what it's like to have a being that is so good that he will protect you from yourself? That happens in all kinds of ways. How many of us have ever decided that we wanted to make this decision thinking this is the best thing to do and God shuts the door so we don't even get a chance to make that decision and we find out 5, 10, 15 years later, wow, that was the worst decision I probably could have made. God keeps us from ourselves and in Jesus, he has defeated all of our enemies. That includes Satan and death. Okay, the biggest problem in our life is Satan and death. Nothing else other than our own problems of who we are. God is our son and he is our shield. He gives grace. Beloved, God gives grace. And you know what that means. The grace of God deals with the guilt of our sin. Meaning every time we rebel against God, we deserve his wrath and condemnation forever. And because of what Jesus has done, God forgives all of our sins, past, present, and future. He considers us completely reconciled to him so that he would take us from declaring us not guilty to say, you are my son, you are my daughter. He gives grace and that deals with the guilt of our sin. It makes us a child of him, a child of the king. Grace also deals with the power of sin so that God's grace actually enables us to obey so that our obedience doesn't come from self, it comes from God's power at work in us. And God's grace deals with the presence of sin, too. Meaning that he is making us more and more like Jesus. So that the grace of God is entirely comprehensive and encompasses all that we are and all that we will ever be. The grace of God is his power coming into our lives and changing us. Making us who are dead alive. And those of us that are alive, he gives us more grace so that we might live like it. So that his grace encompasses everything about us and glory. One day he will crown us with glory. One day we'll be with him and he will literally say these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord glory. We were made for glory. One day when heaven and earth are reunited and all things are made new, we will dwell with God forever and ever and ever, and it will be all glory. 
And that time, we won't even have the capacity to sin. Like we won't want to, and we won't be able to. How does that sound for your future? Take it in. Not able to sin, and you will not want to sin. Wow. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk with him. It doesn't say God withholds nothing. It says God withholds no good thing. You get it? That means all the energy, all the power, all of the love, all of the justice of God, all of his mercy is flowing out of him into us so that he withholds no good thing from us ever. And don't you know this is true because he didn't even spare his own son? Do you see? The fact that God is our son and our shield, that he gives grace and he gives glory, that he withholds no good thing, finds its expression in Jesus himself. That he is grace embodied. People saw him and they said, here he is, full of grace and truth. That because of him, we are able to be protected from ourselves and even enemies. And even the times when we are under attack, God is with us. Even times when we lose particular battles, God is with us. Even when we fail, God is with us. Even when we are feeling very dried up spiritually, God will never leave us. All because of Jesus. Now just in case you're ready to pack your bags and head to Jerusalem, the psalm ends by saying this. What? Blessed are those who pack their bags and travel to Jerusalem. Blessed are those who have faith in him. See that? In other words, this whole psalm is stirring up within us the goodness of God and what Jesus has done so that we might believe in him not just intellectually check the boxes off, knowing the right things, but entrust ourselves to him. That is faith. Entrusting yourself, not just knowing something, but believing what you know. And not just believing in what you know, but actually giving yourself up to what you know to be true. So that you entrust all that you are, every circumstance, high or low, whether you feel dry or whether you're finding a blessing in the difficulty of your life, no matter what it is, you have entrusted all that you are to him. That's pretty good news, isn't it? 